the importance of healthy and appropriate coping behaviors. We don't want to encourage kids um, to be coping inappropriately because they're stressed or just because they can. You know, kids still, I mean, this is like such a huge stressor for kids where it's going to overwhelm most typical and most normal coping mechanisms of most normal typical people. Okay, uh, because nobody nobody's been prepared to deal with this. You know, the people from the 1918 Spanish flu are not us. Uh, most of us don't even have relatives. And if we did ask them what they did, they were like, well, um, I don't even know. What did you do in 1918? I don't know. I wasn't born for like a long time. I have no idea what the people did in 19. Anyone? Anyone know what they did in 1918? Probably gardening, huh? <laughs> They're like gardening and and read books and sewed because they probably weren't watching TV. I uh, know they weren't streaming and they weren't zooming. So I have to assume they were doing some other stuff. Um, so, you know, we want to make sure that we're teaching kids about, okay, how do we meaningfully connect? How do we, you know, when so many things are, our liberties are taken from us because we have to, how do we turn it into a healthy situation versus a negative situation? This is Josh. And this is Nicole. And you're listening to the Oregon Transition Podcast. Brought to you by the TTAN, the Transition Technical Assistance Network and professionals across the state. We've got you covered from Portland to Ontario, from Hood River to Klamath Falls, from Seaside to Burns, and everywhere in between. Hey, welcome back. Nicole, good to see you. Good to see you as well, Josh. I'm excited to start Season 3 of the Oregon Transition Podcast. Season three is shaping up to be our best one yet. So nice to see a view of your closet. And it's great to see you in your homemade fort. Yes, it's true. Uh, my closet is not available right now. So I have made a, uh, a pillow fort for sound. And, you know, it's, it's putting me in a good place. I feel good. Well, with this dumpster fire of a year, we all need to find ways to be in a good place, don't we? Which brings us to the theme of today's episode. Today's episode is focusing on mental health. That's right, because there's nothing more important than mental health right now, whether it's for you or for your students. And one thing that always makes my mental health increase is being around our special guest, Darcy Shivers. That's friend of the pod, Darcy Shivers. Go ahead, Darcy, introduce yourself. Hi guys, my name is Darcy Shivers and I am the Transition Network Facilitator for Region 4, which covers Douglas, Coos, and Curry Counties. This season, we're going to feature a, a, a guest host every podcast. And Darcy, congratulations, you're our first one. Darcy, before you became a Transition Network Facilitator, what's your, what was your background? So I previously worked in juvenile corrections and mental health here in Douglas County. I was a skills trainer mentor supervisor, and then I also worked in a day treatment facility for students who had significant mental health needs and needed help transitioning back into gen ed classrooms. That's exactly why we invited you on to this mental health episode. Mental health services are extraordinarily important to, to transition and getting students enrolled in services, knowing how to teach ideas like resilience and growth mindset and being trauma-informed is extraordinarily important for schools to help students achieve their goals. Yes, I think it's very important um, to focus on mental health during times like we're going through, um, such as COVID, the wildfires that are happening here in Oregon, 
with a lot of students being displaced from homes or things being very different from what they were used to, there's an extra need in focusing on helping students build resilience, um, adapting to current situations, and kind of finding their path. And us being the educators we are, we really need to start looking at those things before we are teaching other skills. And at the beginning of this whole crazy pandemic, Darcy, you scheduled a, a session with someone in your region to talk about the needs of mental health. And we were privileged enough to be able to have a few clips of that for the podcast. Can you tell us what listeners are about to hear and who it is? Uh, you're about to hear Debbie Kirby, who is a LCSW, which is a licensed clinical social worker that works for Coastal Center um, counseling and consultation over in Coos Bay, Oregon. I've had the pleasure of working with Debbie a few times over the last couple years and then also while I was in my role in mental health. Um, she is also a certified trainer for Oregon Trauma-Informed Care. So we will hear from Debbie on building resilience, coping skills, and the effects of trauma Um, for our students in the current situation with everything that's happening right now with COVID. What is resilience and why is it important? And these are one of the things that we're always constantly assessing with kids is trying to figure out how resilient a kid is, how much they can tolerate, and how much they can kind of bounce back from. Some kids are going to be more uh, more resilient than others. Um, Some adults are more resilient than others. Some have different kinds of genetic and nurturing makeup um, that make them more... um, susceptible to stress and may make them more resistant to stress. Likewise, you can have two different kids, three different kids in a house, and some are very resilient and some are not resilient at all. It's just kind of a genetic toss-up. Resilience is something that we're um, really working on to have a better understanding about because, um, like I said, we have families and raised exactly the same, experience the same trauma, whatever it happens to be. One does fine and one totally crops out. And we can't quite figure out all the ingredients that make up resilience. Um, We do have a few really good ideas, but we definitely don't have kind of all of it zeroed in. But resilience in a nutcase, in a nutcase, a nutshell, is the ability to overcome adversity. (laughs) Anyway, it's the ability to overcome adversity. You know, pretty much what served to you. You're like, okay, well, here we go. This is, it's not what I wanted, but I'm going to be able to get through it and I'm going to be able to deal with it. And how we know that they're doing better is that it's evident when the kids' health and their, and their overall outcomes are more on the positive side than the negative side, that they can tolerate small stressors. Um, they are able to narrate their stories. Uh, there's definitely some pieces in there where they can um, comment. Darcy, tell me about resilience. So resilience is just that factor of how kids are going to cope with things, how they are going to overcome them. Um, So it's kind of a combination of using some of your coping skills and overcoming the obstacles that are in your way, things that are thrown at you, um, and how you kind of bounce back from traumatic events. Um, Lots of kids, again, vary depending on sometimes their environment, their support systems, um, whether they're seeking assistance from outside agencies such as their county mental health providers. Um, A lot of students use teachers um, to help build those skills. I agree. 
I think that teaching students to bounce back and to cope with adversity is not only important when we're dealing with a pandemic, but it is important at any time. We need to teach students to have a growth mindset and the ability to move forward when things don't go their way. When I was a teacher, I always tried to incorporate resilience into my lesson plans and my transition activities. And I think that is very important for everybody to incorporate, not only before all of this happened, but even more so now as not only are our students dealing with traumatic events, but also we are as adults. Darcy, how do we as educators support building resilience at this time? Great question, Josh. Um, Let's let Debbie explain that. All right, so some of the resilient factors that we're looking at, and when you guys are working with your kids, these are some of the pieces that we're looking for and that you can also develop, okay? So it's not just a checklist uh, for them. Also, you can checklist for yourself. You know, how do I, am I resilient? How do I do this? And likewise, how do I look for it in my kids and how do I build it with my kids? So one of the first ones, the factors is brutally honest optimism. Now, that's not the whole, oh, everything's going to be great. That's BS, okay? I mean, that's all that is. And we're not trying to peddle BS to kids. They get, not, they get enough of it, okay? And they can definitely tell when we're genuine versus when we're not genuine. We want to be able to say to them, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I know we're going to get through this. I know it's going to look different than anything we've ever experienced before, um, but I know we're going to get through it because that is true. We are going to get through it, but it's going to look super weird, okay? Versus yeah, everything's going to be great. We're going to get back to where we were. No problems. You know, and we should be back in like two weeks. Well, when we sell that and then two weeks happens, the kids look to us like, dude, you said two weeks. Um, what's up? And so now we've created parameters where there shouldn't have been parameters. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, we're doing this. So we're not doing this anymore. And we don't know what it looks like, but we are going to figure things out. Okay. And that's kind of what I tell kids is I rarely tell kids are, things are going to be okay. I tell them we're going to figure things out um, and it's probably going to look different than what they thought it would, um, whatever the problem is. And they're like, oh, okay, so I don't have to do this alone. Nope, you don't have to do it alone. I'm not even doing it alone. I talk to lots of different kinds of people myself um, and I really want to make sure that I, I am up to knowledge um, on because everything changes every day on what makes best sense. And if I don't know, then I ask somebody else, just like you guys are all here today, um, learning something different and learning something new to be able to apply to your kids. Brutally honest optimism. Love it. Darcy Nicole, how do you remain optimistic? Well, you know, Josh, I endure a lot of your sports references and I feel like that is brutally honest optimism that I just encourage you. As Wayne Gretzky says, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Well, now that we've gotten that out of the way for this episode, I did really appreciate how how she cuts through all of the the BS, as she put it, for students. It's, It's a time right now that we can recognize the potential of adulthood in so many students. That is how we should be treating them. Everyone has these fears and this uncertainty right now and how we are acting as as supportive figures or as teachers or as transition specialists or as service providers is is really going to be reflected onto the students that we're working with in either quelling or causing them to have a larger fear of what's going on. Darcy, how are you brutally honest and optimistic? Well, 
Well, Josh, I definitely like to right now just go with what I have control over. I know that not everything is going to go my way and I will tell my son that as well. You can only control and make things better of what you can do. You can't look at a bad situation and make it worse for somebody else. You can only control what is gonna be good for you. All right, so the next thing is perception of control over events, so kind of self-determination. All right, so perception is, is, a, is a weird thing because um, what I perceive and what you perceive may be two different things depending on our life experiences, depending on our genetic makeup, depending on our mood that day, uh, depending on where we saw something happen, okay? But the perception that they're talking about here is either it's external or it's internal. Things happen to me or I can influence the things around me, okay? So corona is happening to everyone, okay? But we're not victims of corona, all right, in that, in that sense. Corona has definitely thrown a wrench in everybody's um, game. I don't know anybody in this world that hasn't been impacted by corona, which is pretty danged impressive that something we can't even see has absolutely impacted around every single person in this world. That's impressive if you think about it, you know? And so, and nobody's a victim in this because everybody's struggling with the same thing, but we're all impacted. Now, I can't change if Corona comes into Coos County, all right? I just can't. But I can change how I'm interacting with my world to decrease the likelihood that Corona is going to pay me a visit. Even that, it may or may not happen. I'll see. I can also change my perception of what I'm doing in my house when I go home in the evenings. I'm very diligent. I work very hard to be able to create meaningful connection. When kids come into my office, we take walks. I still socialize them. Uh, we may go get drinks at the local coffee shop. Of course, we do it safely. Um, I, uh, we play games. There's lots of things that I'm still doing with kids in order to make sure that, that they understand, hey, I don't have control over a lot but I do have control over how I'm interacting with a person, about how I'm interacting with my environment, um, how um, I'm interacting with my family and my kids at night. Where are we playing games? Are we cooking dinner? Are we watching a particular show together? Or are we fighting? Or are we standing around crying? What are we doing? You know, and really trying to make sure that people empower themselves in a particularly difficult situation, especially when people feel that they are their power has been compromised and their sense of freedom has been compromised. Um, and they don't know when they're going to get it back. And if they get it back, what it's going to look like, which isn't something that Americans deal very well with other countries that um, are kind of used to containment or being ruled by their government. Don't struggle with it near like Americans do. Um, despite us all having the same rule in Oregon, everybody's rules look different. I assure you, what we're doing here at Coastal Center looks different than what other private mental health agencies are doing because that's not a scripted, if you're a private outpatient mental health agency, you will do this, 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 and this. We, we came up with our own interpretation of what we felt like CDC was telling us to do. Now, in other countries, say China, they lock you down and you don't get any interpretation. You don't get to have perceived control over anything because the control comes from top down. Does that make sense to everybody? So when you're working with your kids, you're really helping them. They'll be like, well, I can't control. I can't go outside or go see my friends. 
or my boyfriend, my girlfriend, whatever. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's true. So what can you control? What can you influence? Well, one of the things that we can definitely control and influence is how we look at things. Do we look at things as this is terrible and this is horrible? Or can we look at things like, well, I can make a good situation out of something particularly bad. Love that locus of control. And in fact, the locus of control is a big part of friend of the pod, Mike Johnson's wages curriculum from the U of O. And so there are lessons that talk about owning and moaning. And when you own something, you have internal locus locus of control, which means those are the things that you have control of, whether you can get to work on time, eat some healthy food, And moaning is when you complain about things that you don't have control over, like the traffic going to work or the fact that there's a pandemic raging and we have to wear masks. So it's really healthy to teach these locus of control to students and it gives teachers vocabulary uh, and language that they could use to problem solve. Sadly, I had to have control over editing all of the amazing content that was provided during this facilitated conversation that you hosted, Darcy. How would somebody be able to connect with Debbie or how would they get some more in-depth information around resilience and trauma? So Debbie, again, works over at Coastal Center Counseling Consultation. They are located in Coos Bay, Oregon. You can also find her on Oregon Trauma-Informed Care providers who teach trauma-informed sessions. I can provide a phone number as well. Her phone number is area code 541-267-2113. Well, I would encourage anybody who wants that information to reach out and, you know, thank you so much for, again, providing us this opportunity to hear what she what she's saying I think it's so important and I I couldn't resist adding in one more clip because during this time in my opinion and in hers flexibility is a big component of how we are all facing these new situations we want to be consistent and flexible okay so people are like well how can you be consistent if you're flexible consistency means I'm doing most things the same way most of the time. But I also recognize that maybe this isn't the time to be steady or consistent, okay? If a kid is having trouble and you call them or you see them or you're interacting with them and it's been a really bad day, that might not be the time to press on them that they're not doing real good to graduate, um, especially if you can have that conversation the next day and it's not gonna change anything, okay? So that's what we're talking about. We wanna still have conversations with kids, but we want to be flexible about when we're having the, the conversations with them. But sometimes that's what we have to do is like, look, you know, we got to have some flexibility in how we're working with kids. Um, and, and that's hard because we all feel like we have agendas and structures and we're tired and we just want to get things done. Um, I've never seen so much need for flexibility in my life as right now. Everything's got to be flexible. Darcy, as our resident mental health expert, you also introduced other professionals to the pod. That I did, Josh. Um, I also work with a fantastic nurse that works for our ESD. Her name is Barb Hofford, but more importantly, she is also a 
large advocate in our county for NAMI, which is National Alliance on Mental Health Illness. I am a nurse. I've worked in public health for many years and currently I'm working as a district nurse for Douglas ESD in Roseburg, Oregon. And I am also a volunteer with NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. So I had the pleasure of sitting down with Barb Hofford, who is also part of NAMI, and here she is to explain further what NAMI is and what they do. NAMI is, it was started by a couple of moms who had children with mental illness and they were not finding help for themselves or for their kids. So they started this organization that has become the country's largest grassroots support service for people with mental illness and their loved ones who are trying to help them. Um, there are classes, we do a lot of education of people um, who have mental illness. We teach them about their mental illness. There's a course called Peer. Um, and then there's a course called Family to Family, which is a class for um, family members and loved ones who are living with someone with a mental health condition who just want to know more, who want to know how they can help, how they can, um, why their loved one is like this, um, what they can do to be supportive, and how to support each other. Because as most people who have a mental health condition know, um, it's often hard to talk about it with people. Um, you can mention that you have a heart condition and everybody goes, oh, that's too bad. You mentioned mental illness and people kind of freeze up and don't know what to say. So it gives a place where it's safe to talk about those things that it's hard to talk about in other venues or with other folks. NAMI is absolutely free. Every class we offer, it's all free to anyone. We want to make these resources available. Um, we have uh, classes for people with children of school age called NAMI Basics. Um, there are so many kids today that are affected with a mental health condition and parents just don't have a clue what to do with that. And now we're talking about it and we're getting help for these kids. So it goes clear from, from school age all through life, any, any age, all are welcome to be part of NAMI. Darcy, NAMI is such a fantastic organization. How did you find out about them? So NAMI is something when I worked in mental health and juvenile corrections that we um, had kind of like a point person. We were able to refer somebody to them because they do offer um, services to everybody. Um, not only the person that we were currently working with, but also their family members as well. And how does one access NAMI? So NAMI has a great web page that you can search by county. It's available around the state. There are contact persons um, throughout every county, um, just getting in contact with that person and then they will tell you all about the services they provide in that area. NAMI has a fabulous website. It's nami.org, nami.org. 
and that's the national website. You can find all kinds of information about any kind of mental health condition. There are places there where people blog. People can just express their feelings or what they're going through or read stories of other people's experiences so that people know they're not alone in what they're experiencing. There is educational material about all different kinds of diagnoses if people are just curious and want to learn more, that's there. And then there is a place where you can, um, it says to find your local NAMI and it'll take you to your state. Wow, that is great information. And I have learned a lot about NAMI that I previously didn't know. Darcy, can you describe a situation where you've partnered with NAMI? Yes, Josh. Um, I have worked with NAMI uh, a few times when I worked in juvenile corrections, students who maybe didn't have insurance um, or couldn't access private or state mental health facilities um, or services. I've referred them there so that they could get assistance with their particular mental health diagnosis and also that their family could go there and seek support. I have also referred while I was working with um, our county mental health providers as a an additional support for families and for students to meet and talk with other families. Would NAMI be an appropriate resource for teachers or other people that work with students to access? NAMI would be a great resource for teachers as it provides a lot of information about different mental health diagnosis, um, and then also support so that they can go and talk with individuals who have different mental health diagnosis and just kind of ask them their stories, listen to their stories, and then um, start identifying different strategies to work with a variety of students with mental health diagnosis. The ability to connect with other people that may be facing the same challenges, I think that's going to help build resilience. It will be helpful to know that you are not alone and it could help you build a support network. Very much so, Josh. It makes you feel like you're not in an isolated situation as where many people who have a mental health diagnosis feel. Um, it gives them a connection to somebody who's also maybe going through some of the same things that they are. Let's hear a final word from Barb about NAMI and move into our final interview of this episode. NAMI is just, it's, it's a great organization. Um, we all need to feel like we belong. And people with mental illness oftentimes don't feel like they belong or nobody understands them. And NAMI is a great place to find people who will listen and they want to hear your story and they want to be supportive and um, just do what we can to make life better. So my name is Parker Sapanek. I use she, her pronouns. And I am our Assistant Director of Youthline Outreach and Education with Lines for Life. I was able to sit down and speak with Parker from Lines for Life, the Teen Youth Line, about the services that her organization provides to students across the state. Yeah, so Youthline is a teen-to-teen -teen, uh, crisis support and helpline that's based out of Portland. Um, but we are a nationwide service, so we um, help teens throughout the country and sometimes internationally as well. Um, so if a youth that is struggling with crisis is reaching out to Youthline, they would be talking to another teen their own age, so between the ages of 15 and 20. We're open from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time every single day, 
and uh, those teams that are reaching out can, can contact us via call, text, or chat. Wow. A, an organization where teens can reach out and connect to at any time. Nicole, how did you find out about Lines for Life? Um, Lines for Life was actually one of my first uh, professional volunteer experiences when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I worked on the youth line um, as a young adult. And I also, they have an adult line, which is the National Suicide Hotline. Um, and so it's it's really an organization that's focused on taking the stigmatism out of suicidal ideation and supporting people in in creating healthy pathways of dealing with those thoughts and emotions. So Nicole, what does crisis look like for a youth when they're calling into Lines for Life? That's a great question, and it's one that I asked Parker. Crisis is also pretty different for teenagers. It doesn't always look like suicide or self-injury. Sometimes it does. Um, But also sometimes it looks like, you know, struggling to pass a class or having a fight with a friend or just waking up and being in a really bad mental health space. So Youthline really values the idea that no problem is too big or too small to talk about. Because youth experience trauma in very different ways, it's important that when you refer them to somewhere to talk with somebody that you know that you're referring to them to people that have had training. And luckily, all of the teens that partner with Lines for Life and the Teen Youth Line have training, as Parker stated very clearly. I think that uh, it's really good to know that our youth line volunteers are trained. So they get about 63 hours of training. They get certified in youth mental health first aid and safe talk. After six months of service with us, they get invited to do applied suicide intervention skills training. So there's a buttload of training that they go through to be able to provide this service to their peers. And there's also master's level clinicians in the room that are helping monitor and supervise. So just keeping in mind that um, there is extra support for our youth volunteers. So no one is kind of just like having to struggle um, handling a contact. I just want to emphasize the importance of partnering with trained staff when you have a student that experiences mental health barriers or thoughts of suicide. I think that student needs a cocoon of support and we need to partner with providers. I agree with that, Josh. I think it's very important that we seek outside assistance when working with students who experience mental health and suicidal thoughts. Um, They are trained in more ways than we are in some of these situations, and they definitely have a lot of resources that are available. And let's acknowledge that this is a difficult conversation. It's a difficult conversation for the three of us to have right now. It's a difficult conversation to have with your students, but it's also an extremely important conversation. Especially in these times when we're in a pandemic and students may feel isolated and alone because they're not getting that face-to-face contact in the safe school environment like they're used to. And kind of echoing what, what Debbie was saying at the beginning about the importance of honesty is that if you can sit down and have these honest and open conversations with students, whether it's around mental health or thoughts of suicide, it's going to build a level a level of trust that is going to continue to reinforce the fact that they can be open. And and when you're providing them resources to places that that also support those conversations and can support them in growth and understanding those areas about themselves, that's how we all heal together. Really. 
If you as an educator are interested in finding out ways that you can partner with the Youth Line in finding more resources and opportunities for your students, Parker has some options for you. We have one lesson called Let's Talk Youth Line, which is about identifying youth line as a resource or um, just talking, just really talking about mental health, like defining mental health, recognizing we have brains and we have to take care of our mental health. Um, and then another lesson called Coping with Stress, where we get a little more in depth with uh, defining stress, recognizing inner bodies, and then talking about how we cope in unhealthy or helpful ways and really just like um, reframing any unhealthy or unhelpful coping skills and, and thinking about what could I do instead. Um, and really the big piece of all of our lessons is it's identifying youth line as a resource, destigmatizing conversations about mental health, and really, again, normalizing help-seeking behavior so people reach out for the help that they need. Um, and so having those lessons virtually is a great option that teachers all throughout the state can still um, access um, from our program. So to get in touch with Youthline, you can call 877-968-8491 or text 839863. Or you can visit them online at OregonYouthLine.org. This has been a hard episode, you guys. Mental health, NAMI, resilience, suicide. It's been hard, but needed, right? Very needed. Teaching students how to access resources, super important. Teaching students resilience and locus of control, necessary. And acknowledging that just because you are suffering a mental health illness at this time, um, where maybe you weren't before, is very normal. Mental health is not an abnormal thing. Absolutely. Let's try to break the stigma of it so that people can get help. So continue, so we challenge you, our listeners, to continue having those hard conversations and to continue finding resources that work for your communities. Maybe they're not the ones that we listed here, maybe they are. And if you have resources you want to share, feel free to connect with us on Facebook or send us an email so that we can share those with our listeners as well. We're going to follow up this podcast with a bonus episode that features strategies that individuals with mental health barriers can connect with vocational rehabilitation. Darcy, thank you so much for being on the pod with us today. Thank you for including me in this. This is something that I really like to advocate and provide people with information on. Mental health is something that truly brings joy to my life when I'm able to help an individual find services and be able to change their life. Oh, well, you truly bring joy to our life, Darcy. We're glad to be able to share our little platform in passing along your message. So Darcy, if, if our pod people have any questions and would like to connect with you about mental health services, what, how can they reach you? Uh, they can reach me via email and it's Darcy Shivers, so it's D-A-R-C-I dot Shivers, S-H-I-V-E-R-S at Douglas E-S-D dot K-12 dot O-R dot U-S. And Nicole, we'll see the pie people next time. 
okay, this may be 2020, Josh, but we both know that's not how you end the the Oregon Transition podcast episode. So let's try that one more time. I'd like to thank again, friend of the pod, Darcy Shivers, for being on today. And peace out, pod people. And be well. We'll see you next time. The Oregon Transition Podcast is brought to you by the TTAN, the Transition Technical Assistance Network, with support from Vocational Rehabilitation and Oregon Department of Education. All views and opinions expressed on this podcast belong to the individuals, not necessarily their supporting agency. The Oregon Transition Podcast is produced by Nicole Perdue, Josh Barber, Tony DePio, and the pod father himself, Lon Thornburg. With additional interviews provided by members of the TTAM. Our theme music is composed by former transition student Boone Richter out of Brownsville, Oregon. Additional music provided by Lon Thornburg. For questions, comments, or episode ideas, please email us at OregonTransitionPodcast at gmail.com. And for all the latest OTP news, connect with us on Facebook. I call it physical distancing versus social distancing, um, meaning that we are physically separated from one another, but we are not socially apart from one another. Clearly, here we are in Zoom. We are socially connected. Um, And the same thing is like, you know, I, there was the other day, uh, um, a mom and her baby were walking down the street and I, you know, babies are cute. So I like waved at the baby and, you know, the baby like, you know, was like, Ooh, you're strange. And exactly what she was doing at 18 months. So she buried herself in her mom's neck and her mom and I are kind of talking, you know, across the street and we're, we're very clearly physically distant, but we are very socially connected. So we're talking about the baby. Then they start walking off and the baby turns around and looks at me and waves and I wave back. Okay. That is being socially connected. I'm still connecting with the baby. The baby's still connecting with me. The mom and I connected, even though physically we're distant versus socially distant. Does that make sense? So we really want to make sure that we are keeping kids as socially connected as we possibly can, both to positive adults who can help them if they're in unsafe situations, and so we don't lose the ability to communicate effectively with kids more than just through screens. 